0: Well, we're going to do, I'm going to be a little different order this week than usual. And I can't guarantee how long I'm going today, actually how short I'm going today, because I've done this in a different format than I normally do. But on this Resurrection Sunday, I am preaching a resurrection message, which is a rarity for Reformed Baptist pastors who seem to not notice the holidays that the church celebrates. For some reason, I have no idea why. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10, say, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. I love how, how abrupt that is. See, I have told you. And, and he's, the angel's leaving now. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples and behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Mark 16, starting in verse 1, for the next eight verses, says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome." Or Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away this stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. Luke 24, starting in the first verse and for 12 verses, says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, Now it was Mary Magdalene, and Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. But the words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. And finally in John chapter 20, 1 through 10. And he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. I wonder if you've ever read all four of those accounts at one time before, because I haven't, one after the other like that. I've called this the message The Empty Tomb, and it's sort of funny because that's not what it's about. (laughs) I'm always like that, aren't I? Resurrection Sunday, the women coming early to take care of Jesus' body, the stone rolled away, the angels inside the tomb and on the stone that had been rolled away from the entrance, the women rushing back to the disciples to share the news, and Peter and John racing back to see for themselves. Isn't this the essence of Christianity? I mean, it's the story I grew up with Every resurrection Sunday of my life about the empty tomb and what it meant. But it's not the essence of Christianity. I want to point out that this is the last time you hear about the empty tomb. It shows up nowhere else. It does not show up in the teachings of Peter and John. They never mention the empty tomb. They never talk about it. In the letters of Paul, is no empty tomb. In the letters of the other apostles, in the letters of James, Jesus' brother, there is no empty tomb. They do not talk about the empty tomb at all. As far as we know, the apostles never used the empty tomb in their preaching. None of their correspondence carries it. And why would this be? This is the most wonderful thing to ever happen in all of human history, isn't it? And no, it isn't. By itself, the empty tomb only means that the tomb was empty, okay? That's all it means. And there could be any number of reasons why the tomb was empty, all of which incidentally have been offered up through the last 2,000 years I looked up the reasons that people speculate that the tomb was empty I'm going to save the very best for last mistaken identity theory Okay, that's one of the theories of why the tomb was empty Jesus didn't rise, someone else was buried in his place by accident Okay, that's the mistaken identity theory, that doesn't explain why the tomb was empty, mind you It just explains why Jesus wasn't in the tomb. Then there's the uh, swoon theory that Jesus didn't really die on the cross, that the Romans didn't really know a dead body when they saw one. I mean, that was only their business, was dead bodies throughout the uh, empire, but uh, that he didn't really die on the cross, but swooned, fainted, and his disciples revived him. Now, that doesn't explain why they thought he was in the tomb. Okay? So I'm just throwing that out. There is the stolen body theory. Now, that one was espoused by the uh, Sanhedrin and the high priests themselves. They said to the Roman guard, they said, here, take this money and go let everybody know that while you were asleep that the uh, disciples came and stole the body away, conveniently forgetting that uh, if anybody touched it, the Roman guard would have killed them. There's a theory that Jesus did die, uh, and that the Sanhedrin, knowing that Jesus predicted his resurrection after three days, then stole the body so that the disciples couldn't. Now, that doesn't explain why they didn't say, see, the, the tomb's empty, but here we have Jesus' body right here, and you know it's him because you know who Jesus was. That didn't happen. There's the hallucination theory. I like the hallucination theory a lot. That uh, Jesus died and the disciples were so distraught that they hallucinated the resurrection in seeing and talking to Jesus again. It was all a a mass hallucination. There was the wrong tomb theory. I like this one. In their confusion and grief, the women disciples of Jesus who were going to anoint the Bible uh, body went to the wrong tomb. Okay? Still again, it doesn't explain why the tomb was empty. But uh, that's the wrong tomb theory. There is the twin theory. I've never heard this one that uh, Jesus didn't die, his identical twin did. Okay? That's a real theory. I mean, I'm, it's a real theory if you trust the internet, which is I went to get this, but I went to real Christian websites who are wanting to explain what the different theories are. Anyway, the identical twin theory. Now, the only small problem is we never heard about an identical twin of Jesus ever. I mean, like, ever. It was never even supposed ever. But that's the identical twin theory. There's the The contradictions theory. The disciples, according to these four uh, versions, didn't even know how many angels there were at the tomb. And there's really good reasons for that, but I won't go into those, because that's not my point. Anyway, the contradictions theory is, if they didn't know how many angels there were, how can we trust anything they had to say? Okay, so that still doesn't explain the empty tomb. Okay? And then I told you I was going to save the best for last there's the alien theory okay that Jesus was an alien and used his extraterrestrial powers this is really something bad it sounds like the the ancient aliens on discovery channel or something used his powers to come out of the tomb and anyway those are all the explanations I could find for this okay Uh, I think there was one more, and I forget what it was, and I didn't write it down, but that's okay. I think that was ten. That's enough. None of these explanations hold together in their face of the disciples and Jesus' own brother going to their deaths, proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah to the very last day. Every last one of them, except John, went to their deaths, proclaiming that they had seen Jesus, the risen Savior. Uh, James, Jesus' own brother who did not believe in him, even after he was crucified, well, especially after he was crucified, until he saw the risen Savior and became a believer, Jesus' own brother James is not an apostle, because he did not believe while Jesus was alive. Despite all the empty tomb theories, the empty tomb itself, as I said, means nothing. What happened before and after the tomb is what's important. I don't know if any of you um, have a chronological Bible which I bought at one time. I've never read it all the way through. But I have a chronological Bible that puts everything in order through the Bible because the books are put together a little bit hodgepodge. For instance, when was the first mention of the uh, crucifixion and the resurrection in the Bible? It's not the Gospels. These guys didn't write until Luke wrote in uh, 62 A.D., let me see, 63 A.D. John's gospel was written about 85. I was going to guess a little bit later than that. Matthew was written in 67 A.D. And and Mark in 66 A.D. So this is, oh, if we're going to say, and I've reevaluated and did more reading this week, that Jesus died in about the year 30. Oh, I thought it was 33, but those are the two It looks more like he died in about 30. The Gospels were written 35 years after Jesus died. Okay? However, the first mention of both the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection are found in 1 Corinthians. Strangely enough. 1 Corinthians was written about 57 AD. The first book of the Bible, they think... They're not positive, was James, written about 49 A.D., but there's all sorts of speculation on that. The next six of the Bible books that were written were letters of Paul. Thessalonians and Galatians, and finally, Corinthians. So, in uh, 57 A.D., about 27 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, the Apostle Paul wrote... And this is 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5. through 5. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the first mention of Jesus' crucifixion in the Bible. Uh, Paul goes on to say that... Um, Paul decided to preach only Christ and Him crucified. Like I say, first mention in the New Testament, chronologically, of the crucifixion of Jesus. In chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Paul goes on, starting in verse 3, and he says, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and you believe. Paul considered the death and resurrection of Jesus to be of first importance. This is a rare understatement from Paul, okay? it's of first importance. Not, this is really, really big, okay? With Paul, I would expect him to really be putting a point on the thing. As he says later on, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, we might as well all eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And That phrase just means we should all just do whatever we want. Eat and drink. Because there's nothing that comes after. For tomorrow we die. Paul continued on in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And here he's talking to those who follow the teaching of the Sadducees, who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Now, the Pharisees did believe in the resurrection of the dead, but only at the last day. They didn't believe you could be resurrected from the dead before the last day, before God's final judgment. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. And remember, we were just talking about Uh, Gamaliel, uh, two weeks ago, saying, hey, you know, you might be on the wrong side of God. And Anyway, Paul says, we might even be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins then those who have also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I don't know if you have friend, friends, people in your life like that that say, this is all there is. I'm living for today. You Christians, you know, what are you doing? There is nothing after this. Why aren't you getting what you can in this life? Because theres that's it. And the reason is, is because we have the hope of the resurrection. In Acts we've already seen the uh, substance of what the apostles taught. In Acts 3.11 when the apostles heal the beggar lame from birth and we were just there but Peter says they're going into the uh, Solomon's portico now while he And denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Anyway, Peter says, You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. Uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, right there in one sentence. But you will notice that there is not one word about an empty tomb. And as I've said, outside of the Gospels, Scripture is silent on it. Now, why would that be? For one reason only. The death and resurrection of Jesus has deep theological implications for all of humanity, but not the empty tomb. It points to the fact of the resurrection, but is not truly important in itself. It is interesting in a historical sense, as all facts in a narrative are, and that's also why the empty tomb is not preached by the apostles. It didn't need to be preached. It was a fact, okay? The empty tomb was a fact. Everyone in Jerusalem, everyone in Judea, knew the tomb was empty. This is not a secret. It was the most famous event to happen not just in Jerusalem, but in the world. And not just in 30 AD, but in all of human history. It was never disputed that the tomb was empty. It was a known fact. If there was a body in it, rest assured that, the, uh, that despite the Jewish reverence for the dead, the body would have been produced. There was no body and nobody in the tomb. Not an unfortunate bystander. Not the unknown identical twin. Nobody, No alien either, just to make sure you know that. There was nobody in the tomb. If there was anything or anyone inside the tomb, the authorities would have made it known. Instead, the priests bribed the guards to say the body was stolen. But no one believed that either. Okay? No one believed that the body was stolen. Out from under the nose of the Romans. And um, the reason... You can know that no one believed it, that Jesus' body was stolen, is what I'm going to take you back to what we've been studying in Acts once again. Now Jesus was crucified, they say, in either 30 AD or 33. And the events in these first chapters in Acts took place immediately after the crucifixion and resurrection. Within weeks. The apostles, in the weeks after the crucifixion and resurrection, began preaching about those events. The new faith believers exploded in numbers to the point where between 10 and 50 percent of the population of Jerusalem believed and became Christians. They were also there, not just for the resurrection. These were people who were there for all the last events of Jesus' life. They knew of his betrayal. Okay, They knew of his arrest. They knew of his mock trial, his illegal trial. They knew of his scourging by the Romans. They saw him carry his cross to Golgotha and they watched him die on the cross. The people of Jerusalem, it's like a hanging in an old west town where everybody shows up to see the hanging. Everybody showed up for the crucifixion. Everybody in Jerusalem knew that Jesus was crucified. And people back then, as I always say, are not stupid. They knew a dead body when they saw one. Yes, they knew he died, not someone else. Not his identical twin, They knew he didn't swoon and then be resuscitated. And then when he was resurrected, he was seen, not just by his hallucinating disciples, how many people saw him at the end, finally 500. Some of these people were probably some that had seen him. The people of Jerusalem knew what happened. They knew the truth. Remember that uh, this is 30 AD again. The book of James, thought to be the earliest, was written around AD 50, and for some reason I'm repeating myself in my writing. Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians, the first mention of the crucifixion and resurrection, less than 30 years after the events, and yet, there were churches all over the known world. Paul, in the writing to the Corinthians, was now established among the Gentiles. So how did this happen? How did it happen that there were churches all over the world before Scripture was ever written? What did they believe in? How did they believe? Without a written record of all that had happened... Without scripture, how could the explosion of Christianity occur? Because even within a span of 30 years, most of the witnesses of that event were still alive, which is remarked upon. They were eyewitnesses to all that transpired. A question most of us are old enough to remember 9 11. 21 years ago could you describe to somebody what happened on 9/11 in an intelligible fashion because that's what we're talking about here we're talking about a span that goes back to 21 25 years before now, another question how about how about the explosion of the space shuttle Challenger Could you explain that to somebody of what happened that day and how it affected the United States? How about the Vietnam War? Now I'm going to go a little bit back further. Debbie, you're going to just have to take my word for it. The assassination of John F. Kennedy. I can explain it to you if you need to explain. Come to me after church. That was 60 years ago. I can explain it to you. What I'm trying to point out is that There were witnesses, there were eyewitnesses to all these events, even as late as the 60s and 70s AD. People had lived through this. People had seen what happened. People knew what happened. They didn't need scripture to tell them this story that we have in scripture that we may know. They knew without scripture because it happened to them. If somebody came to you and uh, told you another version of the events of 9-11, of the Vietnam War, of Jeff, would you believe them? Well, people tell these different stories all the time, at least about the JFK assassination, but would you be swayed by fables? Would you be swayed by superstition? No, and neither would the res- uh, residents of Jerusalem be taken in. To the extent that they all become Christians. It's not that it was easy for them to believe in the resurrection because it wasn't. That's why Jesus' resurrection of Lazarus called, caused such an uproar that people would come to Bethany when Jesus came because they wanted to see Jesus and they wanted to see Lazarus because this is something that does not happen. And yet they knew that it had happened. And Yet, they did believe that Lazarus was brought back from the dead and now, they believe that Jesus was alive. And why did they believe it? Because they lived through it. They saw it. They talked to Jesus' friends. His disciples are still teaching. If they they want to find out from Peter what happened, all they have to do is go into Solomon's portico if the uh, Uh, Sanhedrin doesn't have him at this point in time for the number of times that he was arrested. And you could go and talk to Peter and ask him about Jesus. You could talk to John. You could talk to any of the disciples back at this time. The people of Jerusalem believed because they had seen. They believed because they had seen. And then Jesus said in Scripture, Blessed are those who have not seen. And yet believed. And there you are in Scripture, my my friends. There I am. Jesus is talking about me. I have not seen. You have not seen. But He was talking about you. And you are blessed through the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we have not seen. But we have the testimony of those who did. We have those, the testimony of those who walked and laughed and ate and cried with you. We have the testimony of the numbers of people at that time who came to believe in you because of the testimony of your friends and what they had seen with their own eyes in their own lifetime. Lord, we have not seen. But please strengthen our belief and keep us strong, keep us believing through the end of our life. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.